Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you, and uh, I just want to go ahead and say thank you to so many of y'all for all y'all done both yesterday and today. It was it's really a privilege to get to be a part of this church community who does such a good job of working tirelessly to serve and help each other, especially in our some of our toughest moments. And that I, I don't know if there's anything that maybe uh, represents whether a church is uh, doing what they're supposed to be doing not, or not better than uh, what y'all did yesterday. And, and then to turn around and have another luncheon again today. So anyway, I just want to thank you and commend all of you for your, for your hard work yesterday to... Uh, be such a blessing for the Lindley family. Today we're continuing our series on Romans, and I want to invite all of you, if you haven't heard, we do have these things called Romans Scripture Journals that are, there are some maybe still in the back, some are in here, or I'll get you one. Uh, yeah, they look like this, just a little black uh, book that half the page is Romans and half the page is blank in case you'd like to write or take notes. And I just want to catch you up real quick because I think it's important on what we've talked about. And, uh, and then today, today's sermon might be a little bit more Bible study than I would prefer, but uh, I, think it'll be, I think it'll be good. So you got to remember that the letter to the church in Rome is written to a group of people that Paul desperately wants to go visit. He's never been there before. And he wants Rome to be the staging ground of where he's going to go do ministry in Spain. That's what his hope is. And so whenever he writes this church, you've got this division in this church of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians that he's trying to unify. And in case any of you are like, wait, what is a Jewish Christian? I've thought that. I've said Jewish Christian many times in the past few weeks, and I didn't realize that some of you may have no idea what that means. That means, which, which is funny, because every New Testament writer is a Jewish Christian. They are someone who was a Jew and then met Jesus, saw Jesus, and were like, this is the guy that all of my Jewish upbringing was pointing to. Now, there were plenty of other Jews who said, no, 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 there's no way that the Old Testament, our Bible, is pointing towards this Messiah. But for Paul, for James, for John, for Peter, that's why they're writing. They are Jews who have come and found the Messiah and are now trying to live and follow him. Okay? That's what a, a Jewish Christian is. So we see in Romans 1, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. Even though I'm writing to people who live under the person who claims to be Lord of the world, Caesar Augustus. Well, I don't know if it was Caesar Augustus, but Caesar. The person who claims to be Caesar, the Son of God, the, the good news for the world. I am not ashamed of my gospel, of the true Son of God, the one who actually has the power to save through his faithfulness. And then Paul goes on to start talking about pagans and Gentile people and saying, this is in later in the second half of Romans 1 and in Romans 2, he's saying, yeah, you know all those people, those pagans out there that they, they ignore the truth about who God is, they exchange God for, for idol worship, and, and you're supposed to just see he's making the point that they need Jesus. Um, they need his gospel, his good news. And the idea is, is that all these Jewish Christians in Rome are sitting there nodding their heads saying, that's right, Paul, you get them. You get on to those Christians, those pagans over there. You get on to them because they don't know that they need to be living a better life. Not, not us Jewish Christians because we're, we're living life well. And then last week, Paul turned his attention to say, but for those of you who think because you follow the Torah and you do all these good things that you don't need 
the gospel as much, you'd need the gospel just as much as anybody else. And today's sermon is continuing on that same line of thinking, where Paul has turned his attention to the Jewish Christians in the audience, and he's saying, you think because of all these things you've done and all, all those people over there that are bad, that for some reason you can pass judgment on them. And, and he says, no, you can't. You both are just as in need of this gospel. In my Wednesday night class, I made the joke, it's kind of, it's kind of like whenever maybe a group of people says something like, and, and you know, uh, we joked about this over there, but says something along the lines like, well, you know, those people in California, ugh. Uh, you know, and we, we think everybody over there is somehow fits into this category of they're all crazy, they all do terrible things all the time and live this sinful life. And, and that's kind of what you see here in Romans 1. Paul's listing these things out and everyone's nodding their head. They're like, yeah, that's right, Paul, that's them. And then he says, but you know what? Y'all aren't any less in need of the good news. Y'all aren't any more saved because you think you live better than them, Okay. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and keep reading what Paul is saying. And like I said, this is going to sound Bible study-ish, and I apologize for that, but uh, I think it's good, and I think I'm going to try and go slow. I often talk too fast through this. Try and go slow so that you can digest it, because I think, I think once you learn some clues, you can get it pretty clearly. Romans 2, starting in verse 17. Now you... If you call yourself a Jew, by the way, all the Jewish Christians in the room would be like kind of insulted. Of course I call myself a Jew. Like that's one of that's one of the things I take pride in. If you rely on the Torah and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law. He's just he's piling on. He's saying if you if you call yourself a Jew, if you think you can boast because you have the Torah, if you think you're superior because you've been instructed in the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark. That phrase is key. Throughout the Old Testament, God constantly says, I have called my people Israel to be a light to the nations. He's constantly saying, that's what I, I called you to be. And he's saying, if you actually think that that's true, that you're somehow, your moral living, you're living better than all the pagans is going to bring people to God, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the Torah the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you not steal? He's, he's basically saying, it would be like uh, someone saying, you're, you're supposed to be teaching these people things, but don't you yourself find yourself often not doing what the law says you're supposed to be doing? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you not rob temples? You kind of get the feeling of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is saying, listen, the law says, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's kind of just saying, you think you're exempt because you can go to bed at night and saying, well, I didn't, I didn't sleep with that person's wife. He's saying, yeah, but where was your heart? Was your heart doing it all day, even if you weren't doing it with your body? You know, he's kind of calling that to question for these people who think they're morally superior to everyone else. Um, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's pretty harsh from Paul. Um, that's from Isaiah 52 or Ezekiel, 50, or Ezekiel 36, that quote. He's saying, listen, and, and this, is, this is something you've heard before. How many of you heard before, I can't be a Christian because they're hypocrites? Have you heard that before? He's saying that here to the Jewish Christians. He's saying there are people who say, I'm not going to worship that God because those people think they're better than everybody else. 
but really they, they do all the same stuff and they, they judge me because they think I, they somehow do things better than me. But I see them, you know, they, they don't always do exactly what they say they're going to do. Um, circumcision has value if you observe the law. Circumcision is the badge, I'm going to use that word, it is the badge to show that you are part of God's covenant people. But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? This is like uh, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, that famous line where he says, uh, I, don't, I, didn't, I should have looked it up, but what is it? He says, uh, uh, what is a rose that by any other name would smell as sweet? Have you heard that before in English class or something? He's saying, listen, we call this flower a rose, but even if we change the name of it, it's still going to smell sweet. It's still going to be beautiful. And that's what he's saying here. Listen, if, if you say that you're special because you're circumcised, but then you don't even live a certain way, does it really matter? Or, if someone isn't circumcised, but they live the way God would want them to, it, they might as well be circumcised because they're doing what the point is, like the rose analogy. So then, if those who are not circumcised... Oh, I already read that part. Uh, 27. The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you only outwardly, or even though you who have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly. This is a great little play on words here from Paul. I'll keep reading, but then I'll explain it. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Um, this line is so creative here because what he's saying, any Jewish person sitting there saying, are you kidding me? Of course my circumcision is my sign that I'm a Jew. They would be appalled for, they would be appalled for Paul to say this. But, I don't know how many of you know, but the name Jew comes from the name Judah. Judah is where Jew comes from. And the name Judah means praise, to praise God. So what he's saying is, a person is not a praiser, uh, someone that praises God, who is one only outwardly. No, a person is a Jew, someone who truly praises God uh, inwardly, with a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. So he's saying, he's saying, listen, all these things that you've decided to give yourself credit for, that you're special, that you're special, God's special people, that you're righteous or justified because of these outward marks. No, 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 no. That doesn't determine whether you're praising God or not. It's your inward heart that, that determines whether you are truly praising God or not. What advantage then is there being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? So now this is the Gentile Christian's turn in the letter to go. That's right, Paul, tell him. Yeah, there's no value in being a, a Jew. And, and Paul would actually say, Actually, I think there is uh, much in every way. There is an, an advantage to being a Jew. First, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. God gave them His words. The, our Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, was given to the people of Israel. What if some were unfaithful? Which is obviously hypothetical. I mean, is rhetorical because we know many have throughout the years. Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human be a liar. He's saying, no, not at all. God is, God is faithful even when we aren't faithful. As it is written, so that you may be proved right 
when you speak and prevail when you judge. This is from Psalm 51. But if our righteousness, let me make sure I'm at the right part. But if our righteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing wrath against us? This is one of those classic Paul using logic to try and, he's saying, okay, so if you're telling me that when we are unrighteous and God stays righteous and faithful, and it just shows God's faithfulness even more clearly, his faithfulness in the midst of us being unfaithful, well, then God shouldn't judge us because when we're unfaithful, it just makes him shine all the better. He shouldn't judge me for making him shine all the better. And then, of course, you get uh, Paul here saying what he does many times. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. And so Paul is basically saying, all right, I've proved my point. God is faithful in the midst of our unfaithfulness. And so someone might argue, well, then wouldn't it be good for me to be unfaithful? Because it's just going to make God's faithfulness shine more and more. And Paul is saying, obviously, you've missed the point if you think that that's what it's about. It would be like two people being married. And whenever one of them is unfaithful to one and the other says, you know what? I'm going to love you anyways. And everyone's like, wow, they are so faithful. That's impressive. That should, does that mean that the first person should be like, oh, well, that really made you look great, so I'm going to go be unfaithful again because it's going to really make you look great every time you choose to be faithful to me. Of course not. Of course you wouldn't do that. So here, now that we've read through it, there's, I've pointed out plenty of things, but here are the main things that I want us to take away from the sermon today. I have, I would say, three things. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a sermon before where the preacher had three things, but you know, this might be unique today. The first thing I want to say is, I hope you see, as I'm teaching through this, how similar we Christians, I'm not talking we Clifton Church of Christ, I'm talking we Christianity, sound like the Jewish Christians from Romans 2 and 3. I'm going to use a fraternity analogy for all of you. I don't know how many of you were in a fraternity or a sorority, and I don't think I was because I went to ACU, so it doesn't really count necessarily. But I think I still learned enough to know this point will work. Um, when you're in a fraternity, when my grandfather pledged at ACU, pledging was 12 weeks. It was almost the entire semester of school. When I pledged at ACU, it was five weeks, and now pledging is just a week at ACU, okay? And why does that happen? You know, because legal things happen and things get smaller and smaller, lots of liability issues because you don't want anything, you know, understandably it, it shrinks. But here is what your job is if you are a member of the club. And it's, it's always been your job. It's when the newest members come in, you say, well, you know, you didn't really have to pledge like I did. When I pledged, we had to do this. Y'all don't even have to do that anymore. You, you, you know what I mean, right? You've been there before? When I pledged, we had to walk uphill in the snow all day, and, you know, we had to get paddled, and we had to, oh, man, y'all have it easy, right? That's your job, is to make the, the new people feel like they didn't quite have to go through the ringer like you did, okay? Part of, and, and by the way, I, I, you can kind of understand if someone worked really hard to get into a fraternity by doing all this stuff, and then they hear that somebody else got into the fraternity, and they didn't have to do the stuff, you're going to feel cheated, right? You're going to be like, what? I had to go through all that to be a part, and you don't? This is crucial to what's going on with Christianity, with, with these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians. These Jewish Christians are like, wait a second, you're telling me I've spent my whole life 
believing I've got to follow this Torah, these codes and these laws, in order to be right with God. And that I find so much pride in the fact that I'm a, a circumcised Jew who keeps the Sabbath, who follows all these codes, and you're telling me that these Gentiles, these pagans, who don't even necessarily live that good of a life, that they get just as much righteousness and justification from God as I do, even though I did all of that? And you can see why they would be really frustrated. And that's sometimes what we do as, as Church of Christ and as, as Christians around the world. We, we want people to think, no, no, no. We're the ones that we, we follow all the things we're supposed to follow. We do all the things we're supposed to do. And we do all the outward things to display that we're a part of the club. You know, in fraternities, they have pins, or they have secret handshakes. I know mine did. We, we did this. We'd clasp, is what it's called. You know, you'd clasp. Moonies, they'd, they'd use their pinkies, okay? You have all your little different outward displays that you're in the club, right? And that's what the Jews have. They have their circumcision, their outward display. They have, and what do we have? You might be thinking, like, well, where are you going with this, Drew? You could imagine that in Romans 2, 17, where it says, Now you call yourself a Jew if you rely on the law and boast in God. Now, I've come up with a little version of my own to make this point. So you call yourself a Christian. You read your Bible every morning, and you watch The Chosen on TV when it comes on. You attend Bible conferences, and you post a Bible verse on Facebook every couple of days. Right? I could keep going. These are all things that we sometimes do to say, I am great with God because of all these things that I do, right? And one thing that Paul is trying to say over and over and over again is whether you're a pagan who lives a terrible life or you're a religious person that does all these good things, none of those things are going to save you. Does that make sense? Now, don't get me wrong. I want you reading your Bible in the morning. I want you watch your, watching television that honors God rather than television that that is... Uh, telling you to live life a way you probably shouldn't. I want you to be going to Bible conferences, Bible studies, all those things. But if you ever get to the point where you think, I deserve God's grace because I do all these things, and you don't because you live in California, then you're wrong. Okay? You see what I'm saying? Then you've missed the point. The point is, is that we as Christians can be just as bad as these Jewish Christians in Romans 2 and 3. These things, they aren't bad, but if we rely on them to save us, we are just like them. We are just like people who have taken these badges of holiness and morality and said, I am right because I do these things. And that's never it. Romans is going to say over and over, it is always, we are made right because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And if we choose to have faith in Him. Not whether we can sing four-part harmony better than somebody else. Okay? Alright. Paul says, we don't need the outward badge. He says what you need is a changed heart. You need to be someone that your heart has been transformed. Here is a great, uh, here's a great, in my opinion, uh, scripture that points this out. Do you remember when I told you earlier that when Paul says, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, and that he's quoting Ezekiel 36? Well, this is said in Ezekiel 36 a little bit later. And I think Paul is thinking of this after quoting this verse. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. 
This is what Paul has in mind. That the circumcision that we're talking about, this outward display, God doesn't care about these outward displays. He cares about your heart. He cares about whether your heart is praising Him, a true Jew, as he would say. One who praises. Okay. The next point that I really like from this passage, we can see it in verse, uh, let's see, where is it? Um, Verse 2. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. I want you to think about this word entrusted. And I want you to think about what that means to you. The word to be entrusted with something. I am someone who puts a ton of pressure on myself. And I consider myself someone who really, really cares about handling things well if someone trusts me with it. Okay? Um, One analogy, as I was preparing for this, I thought, what's a good example of someone entrusting someone? And it is like whenever someone says to their friend, hey, would you cut my hair for me? That's a lot of trust, right? You're entrusting whether or not you're going to look good, you know, as good as you want to look. And, and the person, trust, in my opinion, you've got some people who are like, sure, I'll cut your hair. But then you've got other people that are like, no way, please don't make me. Because they feel pressure that if they don't do it good, that you trusted them and then they let you down, right? That you've been entrusted. Uh, the two, two analogies I kept thinking of is when I was a youth minister and we were going through the airport or we were traveling, I was probably as stern of a youth minister as you've ever seen because all I could think is my, your parents entrusted me to get you alive to this to Guatemala and to get you alive back. And so you may think I'm being a really annoying right now, but I really don't care about whether you like me or not. I care about whether your parents still trust me after this trip is done, right? Because they entrusted you to me to take care of you. Another example is, was uh, honestly, yesterday was a good example. Anytime I've done a funeral or a wedding, I feel an immense amount of pressure from myself, not from anyone else. Uh, Steve jokingly, when I was telling him uh, something the other day, he said, Drew, you know, you put a lot of pressure on yourself, and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. But for me, what it is is someone has trusted me to do their wedding, something that they are hopefully never going to forget. That is an enormous honor and obligation that someone has given me that trust, and now I am going to do my best to, to make sure that they have a good wedding. I feel the same way about a funeral. To be entrusted with, the word eulogy means to speak well of. To be entrusted with speaking well of someone that mattered so much to people is a huge honor and a trust that you don't just get. You, you earn it, and then you can lose it pretty easily. Okay, you, you hear what I'm saying? So whenever you think of the word entrusted, one of the things I really like about this word is when people entrust you with something, they don't entrust it to you for you. They entrust it to you for others. Does that make sense? When they entrust me to do the wedding, it's not because they're doing it for me. They're doing it because I'm supposed to be giving that to other people. Does that make sense? Uh, It'd be like if someone had jewelry and they were... Uh, someone in England had jewelry and you flew over to visit them and they said, can you take this back to my friend in Texas? They have entrusted you with the jewelry, not because you're going to get to keep the jewelry, but because you need to give it away to someone else. When God calls Israel his promised chosen people, it's not because he likes them more than anyone else. It's because he has entrusted them with the message of God for the world. I've always wondered that. Why is Israel called God's chosen people? Is it because he likes them a whole lot more? No, it's because he has entrusted them with the message that's supposed to go to the Gentiles. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, the Jewish people were entrusted with the message of God that God wants to love and bless the world, and they failed to do it. 
And then God sent his son, a Jew, an Israelite, to be the true message bearer. The one who was truly entrusted with being faithful to the message of God. And for Paul, it's crucial that we don't say, well, uh, they all messed up, so let's get out of here. No, he's saying, no, Jesus came to be the fulfillment of what they were supposed to do. And they were supposed to be faithful to say, if you want to know what God is, who God is, His message, His truth, look at Jesus Christ to be faithful to that message. And so my, my understanding of this is that for Paul, he's really frustrated with the Jewish people because what they've done is they've taken this beautiful law, this truth, that was meant to bless the world and they've turned it into a, if you follow these rules, therefore you get to heaven or you get this special life. He said, no, that's not what the message was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a transformation of the heart, not a transformation of all these outward things. So Jesus has come once again to give us his spirit so that we once again have the mantle of being his messengers. And I want to encourage you, this is my last thing, that my call to you and to us is to remember that we are now God's children, his chosen church, his body of Christ, to now be the bearers of this message. And I want us to think for a second, how faithful are we to the message? And, and by we, I don't mean this isn't, yes, yes, you need to be faithful to the message. You need to be faithful to the message. But in the New Testament, more often than not, when Paul says this, he means we need to be faithful to the message. Okay? How do we, as the body of Christ, convey God's message to the world? Do we do it well? Do we do it with love and care and grace? With taking the lowest place, with selflessness? Or do we do it sometimes with anger and frustration and, and with power instead of powerlessness? How do we do it? And I, I want to encourage you that one thing that th this isn't the whole point of the message, but one thing I hope that you take away from this is, is that just like Paul is frustrated because the Jews think, well, we, we're, we're good, we're doing all this right, and he's saying, no, you failed, you've missed the point, it's about your heart. Let's make sure that we're people that make it about the heart, that make it about pointing people to the fact that when they see us, they hopefully see the message that Jesus came to show us to display, the message of God. If any of you have any prayer requests or anything that you need prayers about, we would love to pray with you. If any of you would like to talk more about what it could look like to, to continue this journey of being someone who grows more and more into a faithful messenger of Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about that as well as we stand and as we sing this song.